it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern, to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 75. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to answer some listener questions. We got some great questions in the last few weeks, and we want to take a few minutes to go ahead and answer those on the air for you guys. So, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and start us off there, big guy? All right. Sounds good. I'm going to start us off with, um, wasn't a question, but it was a cool comment, and uh, it's great to hear, and hopefully some of you guys can relate to where she was, where she is now give you some inspiration. So this is from Shannon. She says, Hi, Andrew. Just wanted to say thank you so much for the podcast. I was left feeling pretty powerless following my most recent meeting with my financial advisor who handles my retirement account. So I vowed to learn more about investments. And that is when I came across your podcast. I've learned so much and started my own account in addition to my retirement account. And I'm having so much fun. I love that it is a constant and endless learning process. I am surprised at how many of my female friends are in the same position I am and really know nothing about where their money is going. Anyways, I just wanted to say thanks for giving me some power back over my money. Uh, Thanks, Shannon. That's really cool to hear. And um, hopefully other people who might be struggling or feeling hopeless can find the inspiration to try to learn something and, and get yourself from feeling powerless to feeling excited. So this next question here is from Jake. He says, Hi, I've been listening to your podcast for a few weeks and am about halfway through the episodes. I've heard you talk about buying U.S. companies only, but I'm a little unclear if you mean U.S. companies only or companies that are traded in the U.S. markets. Gives a good example here. He says, I've been looking at ticker symbol SHI traded on the MYSE. The company seems to be a great value based on most of the parameters I've checked, but I'm a little hesitant given that it is a Chinese company. My question is, should I keep my scope to U.S. companies only or companies that are traded in the U.S. markets? Any input would be great. I really enjoy the content and I'm excited about getting into the market and building some wealth for the future. Take care, Jake. So when I talk about buying U.S. stocks only, I definitely am talking about those which are not in the situation that SHI is. So a lot of international stocks will trade on the uh, New York Stock Exchange and that can be an option for you. I personally only invest in U.S. stocks, and I've talked about that before. 
Uh, you can definitely look that up in the archives. Taxes being a big reason. And the other big reason is the SEC will not audit any of the financials for companies if they're from a different country. So even though they do trade on the NYSE, uh, they won't report the same as U.S. companies will. And, and so those tend to be more stringent and restrictive and um, better chance at oversight that, that there's going to be less errors for for uh, the financials. And, and, and so you're hopefully getting a more accurate picture. So, for example, if you go on sec.gov, which is where you look up you know, annual reports, 10Ks, 10Qs, quarterly reports, You'll see that SHI doesn't have any 10Ks. All they have are these 6Ks and 20Fs, which uh, I'm not too sure about those. I don't have any expertise in kind of investing with those. So the other big thing is, you know, when you have... The reason why I'm so confident, and it's not just because I'm like extremely patriotic, right? Uh, it, it's also because of the fact that the U.S. makes up the majority uh of the market cap of the world. So the U S stock market is very, very huge, even though you hear stories about other stock markets and uh, a lot of growth, obviously in China and stuff. But when you look at just strictly numbers and size perspective, if we're not more than 50%, I know it's been changing over time, but we're definitely the world leader in market cap. And so, and we've also been burned recently with Enron and WorldCom. A lot of these accounting scandals and legislation that came up as a, a follow-up response to, to these sorts of things. So uh, being the leader, having that much, having been burned in the past, there's a huge, just a huge kind of emphasis uh, from a political standpoint, just from the whole investor climate standpoint, a big focus on, on having accurate financials and making sure that, that that's a big priority, right? Investor rights is a big priority, uh, certainly in, in, in the United States, and the SEC is kind of a branch of that. And so that's why, you know, not to say everything's perfect, but with that big emphasis, you tend to feel more comfortable with, with stocks in a country that is like that. When you kind of go back to the 80s and 90s, there were huge accounting scandals with a lot of these Chinese stocks uh, and you can look it up, and it was just you know absolutely brutal for a lot of investors. So, you know, it could certainly change. I know Charlie Munger is a huge advocate of investing in Chinese stocks. I'd love to get Dave's opinion on this as well. Um, there's obviously a lot of potential. We can talk about SHI just kind of from a general overview, but that's personally where I stand. Those are some of the risks I see. And, you know, for all I know, uh, things in China could be just as good now uh, compared to where it was decades ago. They've obviously had huge GDP growth, a lot of capital flowing in. Those are all things that definitely come into play. There's no right or wrong answer. But um, that's what I mean when I say buying U.S. stocks only, even if it trades on an exchange, um, it, it doesn't have the same SEC requirements. And so I don't buy those. So to throw my two cents in on the question at hand about buying Chinese stocks or just buying, you know, U.S. countries only, right now I bet I only buy U.S. countries only. And I have a pretty simple reason for doing that. And my reason is, is I am not comfortable enough with what goes on outside of the United States to 
feel like I can make an informed decision. And like Andrew was saying, it's not because I'm uber patriotic. I obviously believe in my country, but I don't know enough about the economic conditions in China other than the 30 second blurb that I get on the world news every once in a while. And to me, that's not enough of an informed decision to know what's really going on in the country. And with the lack of ability to read the financials in a way that I know that I can hear and feel comfortable that there's far less risk of error in the accounting, you know, that the company does. I just feel like that you're going to have a better chance of having less risk buying a company based in the United States. Now, that being said, there is obviously a growing world economy and to ignore that would be foolhardy. And does that mean that I'm going to just, you know, dump everything I have in the United States and rush over there and buy everything in in China and South Korea and Japan and so on? No, I'm not going to do that. Just because of the reasons I stated, I'm not comfortable doing that. However, if you have some sort of insight into China, let's say you live there now and you know you're a Canadian citizen or an American citizen and you're living abroad and you have a much better feel for what's going on over there and you know the country better than I do, then you have a more informed decision about what's actually going on there than what we hear on the news because as we all know, the news is filtered and it's filtered however you want to skew it. It's future it's filtered for us and we don't always know really what's going on because there's always a a bias or a viewpoint that they're trying to use. And so when you're looking at SHI, for example, you know, I'm here looking at it on guru focus as we're talking about it and the numbers look great. You know, they really do. And it's traded on the NYSE and you know, the, the numbers that you're looking at are fantastic. You know, the growth of everything is, you know, out of this world, but I don't know enough about, I, A, I know nothing about the company, so I certainly wouldn't recommend anybody just go out and buy it just because you see these pretty numbers on here. You know, It would be much better to learn more about what the company does, how the business operates, how long have they been operating, what are they doing, what do they make, you know, how do they sell what they sell, and where is their growth opportunities coming from? Obviously, it's coming from somewhere, but I don't know where that is. And I guess it just, it just, there's too many uncertainties for me to be, feel comfortable investing in this company. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I'm just talking about for me personally. And that's why I personally would not invest in this company. Not because I don't think the numbers aren't great. They are, but I don't know enough about the company and I don't know enough about what's going on in China, for example, to feel comfortable about investing in the company. And I think shout out to Preston and Stig over at the Investors Podcast. They had a great episode with, I believe it was Richard Duncan, and he was talking about yep, some of the stuff with the tariffs and everything. And um, you can really go down the rabbit hole and, and learn some cool things. But a big reason why Trump is being so heavy on these tariffs and, and, and so strict on them is because um, in China, they've had history of manipulating their currency um hitting you know making the uh, like if if you pull up their financial statements i was i was clicking through it's the 20f actually i guess would be the quote unquote us equivalent of uh you know that's the 10k us equivalent 
Um, and so they do have like their consolidated statements on here, but you can see their currencies on the RMB. And so, you know, a lot of it has to do with like the trade deficit. You also want to factor in um, the idea that, you know, the, the U.S. dollar, if, if you're investing in U.S. dollars right now, as it stands, that's the world reserve currency. So that certainly gives a lot more stability in the sense that the risks, the currency risks tend to be lower when, when you have such a global reach. And so things like currency manipulations can really affect your investments in China, uh, I would argue, to a much greater extent than, than any sort of U.S. stocks. So with the tariffs and everything, I mean, that's probably going to lead to a lot of volatility in, in a lot of these Chinese stocks because these policies are having huge impacts and once that flow, you know, the trade deficit, the trade deficit will flow or their trade surplus, you know, will flow over to how they deal with their currency. There could be inflation, hyperinflation in a short period of time as, as they manipulate currency. So those are factors as well. I think you want to keep in mind, you can certainly go down the rabbit hole. And I think if you're looking at Chinese stocks, definitely check out that episode with uh, Richard Duncan and Preston and Stig. Uh, those are additional factors that when you're just investing in U.S. stocks, you really don't have to. I mean, yeah, it, it has an effect on your stocks, but it's not. You know, you have the the big the big guy and the small guy, and so the big guy is kind of dictating right now how it goes. You, you, the 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 currency impact, I believe, when it comes to that, is is much less has has a much less chance of of being a a huge kind of game changer when it comes to these sorts of investments. So, I mean, I don't know. I, that's something I would kind of consider too. Excellent points. And uh, yeah, that's a great shout out to President State because that, that interview with Richard Duncan was fantastic. And he has a, a website that you can go to that you can learn more about it. He's really an expert on China and he learns, he, he knows so much about the country. It's, it's, it, it's definitely a rabbit hole. You definitely could go down you could spend hours, days, weeks learning more about that. All right, so let's move on to the next question or next, uh, yeah, next question. Uh, hi, Andrew. Uh, I've just started listening to the podcast and love how you and David use common languages and conversation to discuss things I do did not understand. So thanks. Uh, I have a question and it may come up in a future podcast. I am only up to episode 23. Number one, question. Although your advice is not to time the market or wait for an opportunity, but rather to dollar cost average, it seems that all the dividend aristocrats are at peaks and the value doesn't seem to be there. Uh, so the, I guess to answer that question, I guess my thought is, so let's talk a little bit about how I invest and what I have invested in. I have invested in some dividend aristocrats. Uh, I just recently bought uh, Johnson and Johnson. I believe it was back in February. And I have also bought some other bigger, bigger market cap stocks. And they're not necessarily dividend aristocrats, but I've bought Wells Fargo and JP Morgan. I work for Wells Fargo. So I had a fair amount of stock with them when I worked for the company. And I've also invested in JP Morgan recently. So although they're not dividend aristocrats, their banks have been around for a very long time and they pay dividends. So they may not fall into the aristocrat realm, but to me, they're definitely, you know, a dividend player that I should be investing in. And Andrew and I have different opinions on investing in banks and that's a whole other conversation. But I guess to kind of get at your question, for me, 
I look at several things. So dollar cost averaging is a fantastic idea. And that's something Andrew follows. Absolutely. And he's got his whole, you know, basis of his uh, e-letter all set up with that. And that's how he does his investing. And it's a fantastic idea. And, you know, he has some thoughts that he'll chime in about the, the dividend aristocrats. So this is kind of how I go about it. I have the dividend aristocrats that I've just recently bought and will buy more of. You're correct when you're saying that the opportunity to buy them right now because the value is not there it's definitely not there and it's a matter of with those i just wait and i'm you know they will come down again it's going to happen i'm not a predictor i can't tell you that it's going to happen in two days or five years from now i don't know when that's going to happen nobody does nobody can say they can and if they can they're they're lying to you and so my thought is is that I'm going to wait and I'm going to find other opportunities to invest in. And I've certainly done that. If you look at my portfolio, I have wide ranging things like Corning and I've bought uh Fiat Chrysler, who, which is not a dividend payer. I know shock, horror, awe, but Monish Prabhai, one of my mentors bought the company a long time ago and I invested in it as well. And it's done fantastic for me. So I've bought Microsoft, which is definitely not a, uh, a dividend aristocrat. I've bought different companies along the way that are not dividend aristocrats. So I've, I've gone outside of that realm to try to find other values that you can. Now, I will admit, as the market continues to go up and up and up, it is harder and harder to find those values in the parameters that I'm looking for, you know, not buying micro caps, not buying things outside the United States, you know, some of those parameters tend to make it more difficult for me to find things. And so because I'm not always doing the dollar cost averaging like Andrew does, which is maybe something I should reconsider considering what's going on with the market right now, that that would might be a better way to go about doing it. But for me, when I'm looking for the dividend aristocrats, if that's going to be one of my main focuses, then I would definitely recommend you wait because buying, buying high to me is, you're you're just gambling on it's going to keep going up and up and up and you know with a dividend aristocrat there's kind of two ways you can look at it and one of the reasons why i bought it when i did was because it was there was a a slight downturn in the market and they they came down a little bit they're still a little bit overpriced but they came down to a little bit more fair value and so i felt good enough about buying them at that time that you know as opposed to now where they've gone up seven eight percent even in the short time that i've bought them so I don't feel like they're a good a good price for me to buy them at. But with the strength of the dollar cost averaging, you know, that's one of the the keys to it is you're buying it at different prices. So as the market moves, you're going to continue to make money. And the other aspect to take into account with dividend aristocrats is you have the you know, awesome ability of the dividends, you know, Johnson and Johnson is going to be paying that dividend from now until the end of time. And that's one of the big reasons why you invest in that company is you're looking for the dividends to help increase your wealth. You're also looking for, you know, capital appreciation of the stock and any sort of stock buybacks that, that they may be doing as well. So you kind of have three areas that are really going to help you with your investment. But when we're talking about just dividends, the dividend aristocrats, they're consistent payers and they're great investments. But for me, I like to wait until they're more of a value. I guess, Andrew, what are your thoughts? When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. 
Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms, no more awkward conversations, just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online, no uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free, no insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. HIMSS.com slash investing. 
Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. I 100% agree. Like, the idea, yeah, they're at their peaks. I think that's a generalized statement. So while that's certainly true, you could say that about the market as well. There are going to be, you want to look at valuations and individual stocks and uh, understand that there's going to be uncertainty in certain industries and, and certain companies. And so that's kind of when you want to try to capitalize. Uh, it's always just going to come down to valuation. I personally, you know, I have my dividend fortresses. So I, I've talked before, I kind of split my portfolio two ways. One's kind of more of a margin of safety focus, really trying to get those really deeply discounted stocks. And the other ones are the dividend fortresses. Um, and I'm not buying dividend fortresses every month. I'm buying them as they come up, as they come up as good values. So that's going to be, you know, sometimes, you know, it's not like you have to capitalize right away too, right? Like, I've had dividend fortresses I bought who have been, in my opinion, have great valuations and great opportunities, and they've been that way for over a year. Um, so, so these sorts of things with the stocks, they can really kind of cycle up and down. You can still find good stocks with good valuations within that dividend aristocrat space, even if the whole kind of space is overvalued. Um, Every stock, every industry is different and there's going to be ups and downs. You want to try to get in on those downs uh, and make sure you're doing it with companies that are still in strong financial positions where even if you know there's uncertainty, which, which will happen during a, a period where there's low valuation, that they still have the strength to continue that dividend. Because you know that's another factor too, right? Is that these dividend aristocrats will have much more pressure than a regular stock to, to continue increasing their dividend because they have naturally they'll have a lot of investors who are following that kind of dividend aristocrat plan. So you definitely want to make sure you're getting into those that are conservatively leveraged, not over leveraged where something bad happens. They can really take a, a turn for the worst, but I, I, you know, I think you, you kind of wrapped it up really nicely. There's just wait, right? I mean, there's, with dollar cost averaging, you, you can find plenty of different individual stocks with great valuations. You just have to not disqualify a, a whole group just because uh, they have these general characteristics. There will always be kind of exceptions, and those are the ones you, you want to look for. Margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Really make sure that safety is there if you're going to be buying low like that. Yep, I I agree. One one other thing I wanted to throw on there while we were talking about this was a great thing to do with if dividend aristocrats are something you're really interested in, in investing in is creating a a watch list of all those dividend aristocrats and checking it regularly, looking at it once a month, for example. And you can even do just a quick, you know, looking at just their PE ratio or something simple that can give you an idea of whether they're still overpriced or underpriced or even fair priced. And just by doing that simple check, you can go, oh, the PE has gone from, it was 22, now it's at 16. And you can see that the price has gone down and then that can give you a, an opportunity to check more into the valuation of the company to see if it is, you know, if the price is coming down. And 
again, we're talking about you know the price, not the value. So if the price is coming down and it's still a great company, then obviously that's a great time to jump in. But that's one way you can help yourself by waiting is by still being actively involved in the com- in the companies in such that you're paying attention to the what's going on with them as opposed to just kind of going, eh, let's see what's going on with this one or this one or this one. Because there are there was what fifty-eight or sixty aristocrats. Is that right? I, that sounds about, you know, definitely at least those who have been paying five years or more. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I will have to double check on that. I'll have to get back to you on that. So it changes all the time. So who knows when people yeah. are listening to this and where it's at anyway. Yeah. Good point. Uh, but I guess m- what I'm getting at is set up a check, set up a, you know, a watch list and, track it however you'd like, but that would be a way that you can stay involved with them. So you're kind of on top of them. So when an opportunity does arise, you can invest in those companies. All right. So moving on to the next one, uh, number two, regarding dividend payments, say I buy one stock for $80 and then pay a dividend of $3. Is that $3 four times per year per stock? And also I think uh, you have touched on it and it's called a drip. This dividend money can be put back into the stock. Is there a transaction fee here or should I just hold the money in my TFSA tax-free savings account and wait until I can buy another stock? I'm in Canada, FYI, and use uh, Quest Trade to buy slash sell. It's $4.95 per trade and I opened a TFSA. Andrew, I'm going to let you touch on that one because A, you're the drip king and B, you know more about TFSA than I do. <laughs> I love that. Can I just get like a t-shirt and wear that around the drip king? The yeah, the drip king. Yeah, I think we should. Nobody will know what I'm talking about too, so I'll be even better. <laughs> exactly. So, uh this is a a touchy thing and you can go back in the archives. Uh look at the episodes we talked about the the Canadian stuff. Depending on which stock you're buying, uh, there may be a drip or there may not be. I've never heard of a drip where there's going to be a fee. So uh, if you're paying a fee, that definitely shouldn't happen. I know a lot of Canadian investors have used Questray. I think we've recommended that in the past. Um, And so depending on what stock you're buying, they may or may not be able to drip. And that's just kind of something that you're going to have to investigate on your own and try to find out to answer the first part of the question it's uh if it says it's a a dividend of three dollars that's going to be just three dollars for the whole year so most companies will do that in in quarterly installments so you'll have four i have a stock uh, i own disney and they do it every uh they do it by biannually so they do it twice a year um but the majority and, and you know some actually do it monthly too but the majority do it quarterly so when you see that dividend, when you see that yield percentage, when you're going on a financial website, that's going to be uh, how much you're getting paid throughout a whole year. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. All right. Perfect. Awesome. Drip King is answered. So we got that one done. <laughs> All right. Moving on to question number three, weed stocks. Your opinion. I know it goes against value investing as the ratios are through the roof and companies are overvalued, but this is a rare time as a previously illegal substance is entering the free market comparable to prohibition and potentially a once in a lifetime moment. 
I can't think of any other currently illegal substances that will become legal and widely used. I do understand that the U.S. is the biggest potential market, and if a Democratic government were to be elected, would the chances of federal legalization push weed stocks even higher? Prediction is for a $200-plus billion industry. What happens when Coca-Cola and Big Pharma invests in pot? So here's my thoughts on pot or weed. So without going into all the illegalities, legalities, the political situation, let's just talk about investing in the companies right now. So I came across a great article from Jay June, who runs Old School Value. If you guys have not checked that out, you need to go check it out. It's awesome. He's a great writer. He's been around for a while and he really knows his stuff. Very conservative, great value investor. He's a very good writer and I learn a lot from him. I read his, I read his articles every single week. Couldn't, couldn't uh, recommend him more. So he had a great little article recently about this very topic and all the things that uh, Thomas is mentioning here are right on the money. Yes, there's a huge potential. Yes, there's a very, very good chance that this is going to become a legal product here in the United States. When? Nah, again, I can't predict that. But there's a very good chance that state by state by state approves it. There's a very good chance that it will become you know, a legal substance here in the United States. So that being said... When you're looking at, for example, there's a stock out there that Jay June was talking about. It's called Weed, W-E-E-D. I think that was the ticker symbol. And right now, their revenues have gone from 30 million to 60 million in the last year, which, you know, that's awesome. But right now, the stock is selling for currently at $53 a share, which is almost, so that makes the market cap of this company $12 billion dollars which is huge. And when you're talking about uh, a $12 billion market cap versus versus $60 million in sales, that's not, we're not talking about earnings. We're not talking about, you know, we're talking about sales. We're not talking about the money that we as shareholders get at the end of the day after they pay all of their expenses and their rents and their employees. I mean, everything that goes into that. We're just talking about the sales. So you're paying 200 times for the sales of the company. And that is just huge. And the volatility of these stocks right now is just massive. For example, Tilray, which is another company, another popular weed stock that's gone all over the place. And I, I saw the other day that it dropped from $210 to $100 in a day. I mean, you know, if you have the stomach to go for it, knock yourself out. But I, I guess for my for my conservative value investing, these are my principles. This is what I invest in. I I would be weary about getting involved in those companies at this point in time. Is there a great opportunity? Of course there is. Is there a great opportunity in Bitcoin? Absolutely. Was there a great, you know, was there a great opportunity in tulips back in the day? Absolutely. But you know, you have you have to remember whenever you're investing in a company, we're not talking about the ticker, we're investing in a company. Whenever you're investing in a company, you're only as rich as when you can sell it. So when you're getting in on the rush to get in the beginning and everything is going through the roof and going sky high, you're only as rich as when you can sell it. And so I, I, I actually got that quote from Jeff Bezos. So richest man in the world. Somebody was asking him how it felt to be the richest man in the world. He said, I'm only as rich as when I sell the stock. 
So, <laughs> That's I mean, it, it is, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's sad. Um, I read recently that Warren Buffett pays himself a hundred thousand dollars a year. Second richest man in the world. That's all he pays himself. So, you know, that's not a lot of money. I mean, it's a lot of money, but it's, you know, in comparison to the, you know, tens of billions of dollars the guy's worth, you know, to pay himself a hundred thousand dollars. And he understands that he's only as rich as when he sells the stock. And so for every, every buy, there has to be a seller on the other end. That's the way the stock market works. And, so when you get invested in weed or Tilray, you know, yes, it's exciting to get in in the beginning of it, but you don't know where it's going to go. And we, it could be out of business. There could be four other people that could come in and scoop them all up and outpace all of them. So when there's such a, a beginning of a, an industry like this, you just don't know where it's going to go. And to include something like this as a major part of your investment strategy, I think would be very, very risky. Uh, I personally would not do it. It's, it's too great a risk for me. And just like with the market timers or the people that believe in the efficient market theory, you know, they equate high risk with high returns. It's not the way it works. And we've, Andrew and I have talked about this many, many times, and there's a zillion studies out there that show that that is not the way to wealth with the stock market. Yes, you can hit a big if you get in on weed or Tilray and they happen to become the next Amazon. Yeah, that could be huge. That could be awesome. But, you know, for me, I don't, I'm not comfortable investing in something like that that's going to have a hundred dollar price swing when it's only a $200 stock. If you're talking about a $2,000 stock, a hundred bucks is nothing, but to lose half of its value in one day, if you have the stomach to handle that, you know, by all means, go for it. But I guess that's just not me. And I would be very, very leery about getting involved with these. Yeah. Like picture back in the 90s. Um, you remember those Nokia phones where you could play Snake on them? Yes. Like, imagine if, you know, back then, if, if you would have been able to tell somebody back then, hey, did you know that 10, 20 years from now, everybody's going to have a phone in their pocket? It's going to be this major, major industry. We're going to have more computing power in a cell phone than we've ever seen. Uh, you know, people would buy up Nokia stock, but how how would that have gone, right? How... How could anyone predict, even if you knew the industry was going to be that great, how could anybody predict that it would be Apple and Samsung, who are the the ones really benefiting from this major, huge technological revolution we've seen with cell phones? Uh, you just, I don't know how you can accurately predict that when when an industry is is so young. Well, I mean, you did tag on that. Think of what happened to BlackBerry, right? I mean, exactly. Remember that those, was they the were business the, phone. Yeah, the, it was the business phone, and now look at them. They're dead. They're gone. We we could do this with probably every industry. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. So I guess I'll move on to the next one. Shout out to Thomas Davidson uh, Park. Uh, I guess you could edit out his last name if you wanted. He's an Australian living in Canada, 31-year-old, planning for the future. Uh, Great question. Great set of questions there. Hopefully we answered them. Moving on to the next one. Uh, This one's pretty long. I'm going to try to summarize it as best I can. He says, hi, Andrew, big thanks for what you and Dave are doing for the investment community. You guys gave me the information and enough courage to invest in the stock market. I would like to get your thoughts on the recent situation I've run into. Here's the story. So he talks about uh, this company called Auto Canada. Uh, They're the biggest car dealership owner in Canada, and they own multiple 
I'm sorry, a couple dealerships in the USA. So the ticker symbol is ACQ.TO. And so he talked about how he, he used the VTI using the annual reports. Uh, had some really great numbers, valuations. So he went ahead and bought the stock. And then since the purchase, the stock had gone down. And then quarter two results came out. And the stock dropped roughly 35% in two days. So he said his first thoughts were to sell the stock to cut his losses just in one day. He lost the 25% I usually advocate. On second thought, he figured he shouldn't sell and maybe even invest more because selling in the midst of a selling frenzy would be the worst possible thing to do as this drop brought the price to even better valuations. So he lists some of the valuations here. He says, I haven't owned the stock nearly long enough, owned for less than six months to let it reach its potential. Other value investors advocate holding a stock for a minimum of one or even two years before selling as you can't evaluate if a stock was truly a wrong investment or just an error in your purchase timing before this one or two year time frame is up. He says, I know my question is a little long. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Thanks in advance for your time. Glenn from Montreal, Canada. I guess we have the benefit of hindsight, right? So I can kind of look back to when that stock dropped and, and see what's what's gone on since then. And so it's actually just continued on this downward trend and, and it's looking even worse today, uh, trading at about the 12 to $13 mark. So we, we've talked before about this idea of you definitely want to buy stocks for the long term and understand that if a stock that you like that has strong financials and strong business fundamentals actually goes down in price, then that's a good thing because either A, you can pick up more shares, B, if you're having if you got a drip going, you're getting a, a bigger drip essentially. You're able to buy reinvest and buy more shares as that price is down. So uh, we I I don't know what exact episode we cover that in. Um but it, it's definitely a great discussion to have. Now, when it comes to uh, this particular stock, Auto Canada, ticker symbol ACQ.TO, I'll, I'll just kind of give some of my thoughts on it. Obviously, I wouldn't buy it just solely because it's not a U.S. stock. However, um, a couple of notes I saw was the market cap for this is really small. So the market cap is 352, $352 million. I generally try to buy stocks that are... 2 billion in market cap or greater. It kind of goes to what we were talking about with the last question with with this idea of like the risks of buying into a a young industry. Uh when you have a stock even or maybe even especially if it's a leader like you mentioned they're the the Canada's leading dealership. That could indicate a smaller market and and with these smaller markets there's there's a lot more risks and so Kind of a general rule. I definitely try to get over two billion in market cap. Sometimes I'll dip my toes in between the one billion to two million dollar market cap, but it's kind of for the reason, the same types of reasons where you don't know how things are going to play out. Um, you know, somebody could come in from a different industry and kind of completely disrupt that industry by making acquisitions and using their big kind of capital to to really move things around, shake things around. With, with the weed industry, you can think about like Coca-Cola making a, a drink and completely just demolishing a lot of the competitors there. Uh, that can happen to a lot of different industries. And I think with 
with dealerships in particular, if you think about the legal, at least in the United States, and I'm sure in Canada, it's, it's, it's similar, but like, uh, there's a lot of politics when it comes to being a dealership. If you try to sell more than like three or four cars, private party, they're saying you got to get a dealer license. And, uh, at least in the States, they have dealers that are based on location. And so you'll have a dealer that's, uh, you know, this is, uh, Westgate of Raleigh or something. So, uh, I'm sorry, like Toyota of, of Westgate or Toyota of Raleigh or Toyota of Los Angeles, whatever, whatever that is. Um, so there's a lot of kind of blue tape that's involved and it's, it's, it's a lot different than your regular kind of business to consumer industry. So the the size kind of makes me weary of of this particular stock. Uh, you can certainly maybe if if you're a Canadian player and you understand the Canadian market is as a much different size than the US market, maybe you can lower those restrictions on market cap and, and kind of try to try to make those kind of rules for yourself, but I, that's just how I see it. I'm weary of that. And then just weary of the risks of kind of the dealership space in general. And then the last red flag I saw was um, Glenn here said that the uh, debt to equity went from a 2.21 to now like a 2.7. So uh, 2.21 is already pretty high. Um, it's definitely getting up there. But you know, with, with great valuations... A nice VTI. Um, it's it's not like an automatic disqualifier like a, a debt tech wave like four would be, but when you see when you're when you're talking about a metric that's already kind of at its upper limit, and then it just continues to to skyrocket from there, I think that's something that that really makes me consider. Okay, I understand the valuations are fantastic, but is this company really in that direction where I'm feeling like it has financial strength? and a strong balance sheet to be able to weather whatever difficulties that, that is faced. So I know in, in his question, he talked about some of the quarter two difficulties, um, some impairments, expenses based on uh, acquisition. So those are things to keep in mind and, and maybe try to run the numbers on, on some of the, uh, it sounds like there are extra special expenses that, that went along in this company's quarter two. So maybe evaluating those and, Getting a true numbers perspective on how that will ultimately affect profits and the bottom line. These are just kind of some of the thoughts I have as I think about a stock in this kind of situation. But you know, I don't want to make it sound so bearish where I think you should automatically sell. Obviously, there's a lot of credence to the idea where if you're a value investor and you have conviction in a pick, uh, just because the market hates it doesn't mean you should automatically sell it. But I do just from a kind of a cursory, uh, just like a general outlook here, general view, uh, that that increasing debt to equity is concerning. The small size is concerning to me. And these are just all factors I would try to add to, to an evaluation and analysis of a stock in addition to some of the great valuations that it has. So I wanted to to touch on Glenn's uh, question uh, briefly. So I guess my thoughts were when to sell the stock. Well, that's a, that's a very tough question to answer. And I guess, you know, Andrew made some fantastic points. And I think one of the things that I would like to throw out there is 
that, yes, a lot of value investors do recommend holding a stock for a minimum of one to two years. Warren Buffett talks all the time about don't invest in a company, you know, for five minutes that you wouldn't hold for five years. And he also talks about buying a company and having the stock market turn off for 10 years. Would you still be happy with it 10 years from now with the performance of the business, not the performance of the price of the stock? We're talking about the performance of the business. And I guess the the question I would ask, I'm coming into this a little bit blind because I don't know much about the company other than what Glenn provided here for me. I guess the question I would ask is before you invested in the company, was the stock trading at an all-time high? You know, was the price of the of the company, you know, at an all-time high? That would be something that would give me pause before I'd invest. And if it came back to more normal levels and reverted back to the mean because of the bad news that, that happened that he recommended, then that would be something that I would keep in mind. You know, does the company pay a dividend? If it still, still pays a dividend, then you still have some, you know, hope of making some money back. Yes, you're going to have to wait a while to get all that back. And I guess the other part of it too is, you know, six months is not a really long time to hold a company. And if you really believe in the conviction of your investment and you really think the basis of why you invested in the company to begin with is still there, even with some of the changes going on, eventually the stock market will recognize those things. So if for example, the company is profitable and they're making good business decisions. It sounds like they had some poor management and it sounds like that has been changed. And if those people that have made those changes are pointing the company in the right direction, then at this point, you know, if you've lost 35% of the company or more, you know, you have two choices. You can sell out of it and just accept the loss, or you can hold on for another smaller period of time and decide at that point what you want to do. Whether or not you should invest in the company more, I guess I would be hesitant to do that when it has such a big drop and you've had some bigger changes and some other you know aspects like the Andrew was talking about with the the debt to equity being you know touch on the high side. And I guess with the debt to equity, one thing that I would look at when I would be investigating this company is seeing if that is the norm for the auto industry. You know, that's one of the things that I don't know enough about. So when I would be investing, investigating, I'm sorry, investigating the company, I would look at if their debt to equity was 2.21. And then I look at other companies in the same industry that are all rough running at roughly the same debt equity ratio then okay well maybe that's a norm for the company and it wouldn't be something that would be so alarming as if they were a tech company or if they were you know selling jeans or something so i understand when you buy cars you have to buy them and then they sit on the lot before they sell and you know that's there's there's you know a debt that you have to pay back for those so that's why i asked that question so those are a lot of the things that kind of going through my head as we're thinking about this and talking about this so i guess the to sum it all up is I would give it a little more time before you make that decision about whether you want to invest. If you've owned the company for about six months, then at this point, it's not going to kill you to, to hang on to it for another six more months and decide at that point, if this is really something that, you know, look, it's just not going to turn around that it looks like, you know, all the fundamentals that I was looking at have gotten worse Then that would be 
a decision at that time that you'd want to make and, you know, cut your losses and move on. And that's one of the things that being an investor is the hardest thing to do, but you have to, at some point you have to cut the losses and move on. So I guess I would give it another six months and reevaluate it at that time. And then if it still doesn't look like it's getting better or if all the other fundamentals are looking great and it's just this bad news that's made it fall this much, then you reevaluate it at that time. I guess that's my thought. Yeah. Didn't really touch on the fact that there was, um, some of the numbers that Glenn was talking about are trailing 12 months versus numbers that you'll find on the annual report. So you kind of have to be wary when you're using trailing 12 months because that's going to use quarterly reports. And we've talked before how we love to use annual reports and the 10 Ks. Um, and so, you know, another benefit of waiting the extra six months, like, like you said, Dave, is that you get another annual report to really see what, what the true shakeout was of this, because, when you're looking at the the quarterly stuff, yeah, you know, uh, quarter two results came out, and that's going to kill the the trailing twelve months figures. But you have to think too: what if they just happen to have a really weak uh, quarter four last year? Well, those trailing twelve months will reflect that. But you know, if they recover and have a strong quarter four this year, well, then uh, let's say 2018 won't be as bad of a year as it seems right now, as as you're evaluating evaluating it in the middle of the year with the trailing 12 months. So I don't know. I think that's something to keep in mind too. Um, the fluctuating characteristics of these quarters, these business fiscal year quarters, um, and how we really prefer to use annual reports. And, you know, those again are not audited, so they could have another adjustment happen with, with the annual report. Uh, Last little thing before we sign out, um, that episode I was talking about in the archives, we had one that kind of uh, went into this more in depth. It's episode 48, when a falling stock indicates a failing business. And that would be an additional another factor to think about that we didn't even talk about today. Um, just kind of looking at how the business financials are are looking throughout the years rather than just single focus, laser focusing in on one year. Or in this case, uh, trailing 12 months. So all stuff to keep in mind. Obviously, the idea of um, analyzing the stock and kind of dealing with some of the fallout is not a simple thing. Um, but you know, even getting to this part or this point where you're understanding what the financials are telling you and you're now like a half a step away from... I mean, because really in this email, Glenn kind of laid out perfectly what's going on, why the stock went down. And uh, he was able to understand it all, right? He was not like the average kind of blind investor who might see a, a ticker symbol and just freak out. Instead, you got this like research analyst kind of approach to it that I think a lot of people can have if, if they get into individual stocks. And understanding the financials and the valuations definitely helps you to do that. So you know, kudos to you. Uh, you could go one way or the other. Obviously, you could go many different ways with, with a stock like this. Try not to kill yourself over it because in a diversified portfolio, it should only make up 5% of your total investment capital. But um, good to have some thoughts. I think I think you're like halfway, three quarters of the way there. And those are some of the additional thoughts that we thought we could add to that. 
All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion today. I hope you enjoyed uh, Andrew and I taking a few moments to answer some questions. They were fantastic questions and they're just getting better and better all the time. The amount of data and research that you guys are doing is just awesome. I'm just so impressed as always. So thank you again for taking the time to write to us. We do appreciate it and we enjoy uh, learning more about you guys and learning more about what your struggles are and how we can help you. So without any further ado, You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.